Guys, it's been 50 episodes and there's so much that I have learned from all these guests. And I hope that there's a lot that you all have learned as well. And uh, in this episode, we're going to cover part two of our kind of 50 episode recap of the main lessons that I have learned during these 50 episodes and what I think the main takeaways are from a lot of these episodes and from our incredible guests. If this is the first episode you are clicking on of the Preventive Medicine Podcast, then welcome to the show. Um, I hope that you find value in this. And if you do, and if you think that any of these takeaways are kind of important or have some meaning to you, then please go check out the whole episode. And if you're a returning listener, then thank you so much once again for clicking on this episode. We hope that this summary uh, does justice to everything that you have heard. Um, hopefully, you've listened to all those uh, 25 episodes. In this recap, we're going to cover episodes 26 through 51. So let's get into it. Overcoming saber-toothed tigers and woolly mammoths, we must now face a new enemy, ourselves. With the rates of diseases such as heart disease, stroke, diabetes, depression, and many others ballooning, we must find a better solution to these modern epidemics. Welcome to the Preventive Medicine Podcast. We believe in building a foundation of health by means of prevention so that you can build the life you want and find fulfillment with no barriers. Hear from experts around the country on how to take your health into your hands. Take control and build a foundation of health for the life that you want to live. And now, here's your host, Raghav Sharma. All right, let's get into it. But before we do that, I just want to say real quick, if you want to support the show and if you found any value in anything, whether it's one specific episode or if you've just enjoyed every single one, the best way to support this podcast is by going either on Apple Podcasts, if you use Apple Podcasts, going and rating the show five stars and leaving us a review, just comment which episode you like best, what you like best about the show in general, whatever you would like to do. Or if you use Spotify, because Spotify now also allows you to rate podcasts, do the same thing to go and rate our show five stars and comment on and leave a review on what you enjoy about the show or an episode that you particularly enjoyed, anything like that. So that's the best way to support the show. But now let's get talking about our kind of takeaways. So we are starting on episode 26. And this was kind of a big episode as far as my own personal paradigms when it comes to musculoskeletal medicine. And that's because we had Adam Meekins on who is a physiotherapist practicing in the UK. And he is as, um, I don't know how you put this gently, against manual medicine as it comes. And he just has such experience uh, being a physiotherapist, going through kind of the entire progression and becoming a physiotherapist, where at first he was really into manual medicine. He was doing a lot. He took a lot of courses, seminars to try to become better at manual medicine. And then as he started reading more of the research, doing more as a clinician himself and kind of being better with patients, just being um, more aware of what's going on with his patients, he realized that Manual medicine doesn't really do much, and as he describes it, is more of a short-term pain modulation, but doesn't really do anything for the long term. So essentially, it feels really good while you're doing it, whether it's like foam rolling, scraping, such as the Graston technique, any like percussive techniques, like those um, guns that you have out there, like the hyper-rice machines and whatever else it may be. Um, but it doesn't really do anything for the long term. It doesn't help um, when it comes to recovery, it doesn't help when it comes to preventions of injuries and all the other things like that. And one of the other points that he made, which was really um, kind of really important and really evident to me and something that I didn't realize was that a lot of these modalities such as like scraping, massage therapy, the percussive guns, 
all of those end up being relatively expensive. And when it comes to accessibility to treatment, a lot of these are inaccessible to a lot of people because they do cost a fair amount. Everyone doesn't have $100 to go shell out for a massage. They don't have two to $300 for a percussive machine. They don't have time to go to the physical therapist or to some practitioner of the Graston technique. You can do it multiple times a week. And a lot of times the eff efficacy of kind of simple treatments like taking some Tylenol and a hot bath are way more accessible and have the same outcome as another kind of modality or a manual modality. So that was a huge takeaway and something that I personally got as a future practitioner in musculoskeletal medicine, um, being trained in rehab medicine. Um, one of the other main paradigm shifts from this one was that most people's form when it comes to lifting is acceptable and a acceptable quote unquote form is terribly defined. And you see people hyper critiquing people's techniques with a hip shift, knee cave, all of these different things. But for the most part, you're not going to get injured with quote unquote poor form um, if that's how you've been training the entire time. And everyone has a very individualized form. What really matters is kind of the eye test. If someone looks like they're going to mess something up, which is a very kind of, you will know it's an alarming technique, then that is kind of the only time where you might want to adjust something. Otherwise, for the most part, if someone has a knee cave, hip shift, anything like that, or if their elbows flare a little bit, probably will not be causing pain in the long term. And that is their quote unquote acceptable form. So moving on from that, we have episode 27, which is kind of just an anniversary episode, something very similar to what I'm doing right here, but going on with the musculoskeletal theme. The next episode on 28 we had was Dr. Robert Bowers, or Bobby Bowers, um, who is a DO and a PhD. He's a practicing sports medicine physician who works for professional sports teams as well as in his clinical practice. And one of the things that we talked about, which was huge in this episode, was that when it comes to musculoskeletal medicine, as like I was saying with the Adam Meekins podcast, is that many of the non-evidence-based interventions that we have in orthopedics, sports medicine are the ones that end up being reimbursed by insurance. So whether these are various surgeries that aren't really efficacious versus conservative treatment, or whether they're just like these random injections that aren't necessarily the most effective, um, they end up getting reimbursed while the things that are evidence-based, such as physical therapy, um, kind of counseling, exercise therapy are not really covered by insurance. And one of the other things that uh, Dr. Bowers talked about during this episode was orthobiologics or things like um, PRP injections, stem cell injections, which are kind of emerging. And specifically when it comes to PRP, there is a lot of really good evidence by people who use PRP, the people who can actually conduct those studies. Whereas the kind of the bigger studies that have been out there that really don't show that it's efficacious are done by those who have varying modalities of treatment, like a not standardized and all these kinds of different things. And PRP is not covered by insurance. So Dr. Bowers is a huge believer in PRP and the evidence does show that it could be pretty promising. So there's a lot more to come with that, but that was a huge topic that we talked about in that podcast. And in another one, we kind of talked about what sports medicine is and isn't. And a lot of people think when you say sports medicine, you are going to be a team physician. You're going to be the one that's kind of primarily working with sports teams, professional teams, and all of this this and that just to kind of help take care of their musculoskeletal needs. But in reality, a lot of sports medicine is just helping people move like you and I helping um, elderly folks move, helping fathers, mothers, whoever it may be, helping them move. And a lot of times that just comes down to things like arthritis, basic sports injury, someone rolled their ankle, um, someone slipped on ice, all of those kinds of things. And it is kind of the field of movement versus specifically thinking about sports in terms of professional sport teams.
Um, the episode we had on after that was quite a shift from musculoskeletal medicine. This is kind of into general internal medicine, and this is Dr. Jeffrey Linder. And for this episode, I actually uh, found him through listening to a JAMA, which is the Journal of the American Medical Association, um, a JAMA podcast on a new study that came out on the kind of well visit, quote unquote, which is your annual physical checkup with your physician. And what Dr. Linder was saying was that this actually isn't necessary. And a lot of times there's actually the possibility to introduce a little bit more harm than there is benefit during these visits just because of various nocebos and placebos that may be provided. And also he talks about during the podcast how routine labs, like when people say they need to go with their labs checked um, kind of on a yearly basis, their lipids, all those kinds of things. Those aren't really a thing. That's what he's saying. And oftentimes uh, those abnormalities that show up are more of a lab error versus something that's an actual medical problem or something that needs to be addressed with medications, with pharmacological approaches, whatever it may be. Um, the things that he talks about are most worth it are blood pressure testing, um, especially if a history of hypertension, because this is something that is kind of a quote unquote silent killer. You don't really notice the effects of high blood pressure until it's too late and it's causing a whole bunch of other is issues. Um, or if you have a family history of things or a pre-diagnosed condition, such as you already have diabetes, then you probably should be getting follow-up. But if you're a young, healthy person that doesn't really have any medical issues, then there's no reason to kind of go and get that well check, get labs and all these kinds of things. And we also talk about some other very interesting things during this episode, such as when you're going to the physician and they're kind of listening with that stethoscope, which is the hallmark of a physician, they're listening to your heart. And oftentimes he says, even this is not necessarily that useful because sometimes you're going to be picking up um, some sort of like aberrant um, heart sound, um, whatever it may be, a click, which isn't necessarily the most important thing. Um, and oftentimes when you have practitioners listening to this, such as med students and residents, um, they might be picking up on something that isn't really there and suddenly you cause testing and all this other stuff. Um, and Dr. Linder talks a lot about that. We dive a little bit more into that topic, what, when it is appropriate, when it isn't appropriate and a whole bunch of the other things. So this was another episode that kind of blew my mind. Um, it was a paradigm shift for me as well, because I was under the impression that you should be going to a physician yearly kind of on the preventive basis, um, and just making sure that things are in check. But Dr. Linder says that possibly introduces more harm than benefit. So make sure to go check out that episode because most people are trying to get the uh, annual bell visits. And this episode is definitely a paradigm breaker. Now, after this episode, we went back to musculoskeletal medicine with the only and first resident physician that has been on this podcast, and that is Dr. Jim Eubanks, who is now um, doing his fellowship um, at the University of Pittsburgh. Um, but he was a resident physician when we did this podcast, and we talked about spinal care and kind of just general musculoskeletal care. And uh, Jim, Dr. Eubanks, is a huge um, enthusiast of spinal care and just spinal medicine in general. He actually used to be a chiropractor before he came to medicine and uh, became a physiatrist, which is the same thing I'm doing. Um, but a lot of this, we talk about how musculoskeletal care and just spinal care in general needs to be standardized. And when you go to one practitioner, um, let's say whether it's a physician or you go to another one, a physical therapist, you go to a chiropractor, everyone says completely different things that have a very different approach to whatever the problem may be, despite the problem being the same of quote unquote back pain. And even if you go between the same field, like let's say you go between physician and physician, even those two might have separate approaches to what they're doing for the back pain. So um, we have too many people providing quote unquote solutions and it's not a standardized approach. Whereas when you think of like hypertension, 
diabetes, all these other basic medical problems, there is a standardized approach and kind of an algorithm that we use, especially for like uh, congestive heart failure or whatever other condition it may be. There is a standardized approach, but in, mes- in musculoskeletal medicine, spinal care, it's kind of the wild west. We do whatever we want and everyone ends up seeing each other's failures where let's say you have someone who's a chiropractor, um, they treat a patient, patient doesn't get better. Next thing you know, they go to a physician, patient doesn't get better, they go to a physical therapist, doesn't get better, go back to a chiropractor and the cycle continues. And one of the other things that we talked about, and this specifically about back pain and spinal care, is that a lot of what we think causes back pain actually does not. And a lot of what we don't understand, like contributing to back pain, does contribute. And a lot of things that we think cause back pain, we have good evidence for the contrary. For example, we talk about things like posture actually does not cause pain, where most people think that by hunching over, having poor posture, lordosis, that'll cause pain. Another thing is that lifting causes, uh, does not cause back pain. And a lot of people think that if you lift with poor form or if you squat too heavy, deadlift too heavy, you're going to get back pain. This actually isn't true. And that's uh, seen in the evidence pretty robustly. And then we have things like running doesn't cause knee pain when a lot of people think that running does cause knee pain because of the wear and tear. And actually studies show that it may actually improve knee pain. So there's a whole bunch of stuff like this that we don't really know. And just musculoskeletal care in general is pretty backwards. And we need to do a much better job of kind of um, communicating this as physicians and generally as musculoskeletal providers, especially when it comes to um, just helping people out with their symptoms and having a standardized approach. After that, we move on to episode 31, which is with Dr. Carl Nadolsky. And previously, I talked about in the last episode of this, in the last recap, we had his brother on, Dr. Spencer Nadolsky. And um, Carl Nadolsky is an endocrinologist. Um, and we talk a lot about kind of just hormones and the various things related to that during this entire episode. And the first major topic that we tackled was obesity. And we talked about how there's so much that goes on with obesity. It's not just an endocrine problem. Um, there's things with like genetics, the environment, socioeconomic factors, and all of these are kind of bundled in to play into someone's risk for obesity and the treatment for obesity and kind of just managing obesity. There's so much to go on with it here. Um, you just have to listen to that podcast to kind of understand that full discussion. And then we also dive into this later on in another episode, which we'll talk about. But one of the other things we talked about with Dr. Nadolsky is that when it comes to hormones, There's so much quackery out there. There's just so much BS out there. And why? Because it's one of those more difficult organ systems to understand. And I know, especially in medical school and going through residency and whatnot, that the endocrine system is something that is very complex. There's a lot of different layers to it, a lot of different interactions and things going on. And other than being explained by an endocrinologist or someone who studies like the endocrine system like specifically, like that's their field. It's oftentimes misunderstood and the interactions are not really under like explained properly. This is why there's a whole bunch of quackery and many of the problems that people think are due to their endocrine system. Like for example, quote unquote, adrenal fatigue, which isn't a real diagnosis. It's not a real thing. Um, or just having a uh, like hypoactive thyroid or hypothyroidism, despite being di- like not diagnosed by an endocrinologist. A lot of those problems are actually kind of addressed by other factors such as poor sleep, um, poor nutritional status, um, poor stress management, and the whole list goes on. And a lot of times what you should be doing instead of kind of finding these uh, garbage diagnoses online is seeing your endocrinologist. Endocrinologists do phenomenal work. They understand the intricacies of the endocrine system of how your hormones actually play into each other and whatnot. So definitely go see one rather than finding a random diagnosis online and getting nocebo placebo whatever it may be into some sort of treatment. 
the thing I love about this podcast is that we talk about so many different perspectives and we were just talking about like musculoskeletal medicine, endocrinology, internal medicine. And now we go to episode 32 where we talk with uh, Jeb Dunkelberger, who is a master's of healthcare innovation of science and health policy planning and financing. And now one of the younger CEOs within the healthcare space. And he's actually the CEO of Suter Health Atna, which is a pay vital organization. What is this? You got to listen to the podcast to understand fully because I kind of 75% understand what's going on. But essentially what a pay provider organization is, is that one that kind of pays for healthcare as well as, as, well as provides healthcare. So they kind of do both. It combines it all to kind of streamline um, medical care and medical billing and hopefully provide more comprehensive care versus everything kind of being split up and disorganized and not as efficient. So during this episode, as it sounds like, we talked a lot about healthcare systems, economics, all of that kind of thing. We talked about insurance a lot of the time because technically Suter Health Atna is also kind of insurance because they pay for healthcare, which is what kind of the role of insurance is. Um, so we talk about why the healthcare system is so poorly set up, uh, like financially, economically, why there's so much bloat in healthcare. And one of the main things that we talked about was that we have tried to improve healthcare. There's so many times that we've tried to um, incrementally innovate, as we call it, um, where we try to see a problem, we try to fix it. But instead of kind of um, building and rebuilding something, we just add to the bloat. And over time, the way healthcare is right now is because we just keep adding these small little things on top of each other without worrying about what came before. And then we just incrementally bloat it and it keeps getting more and more and more bloated. And this is one of the reasons that healthcare expenditures keep going up and they continue to balloon is because we don't look at the past. We don't say, okay, we can get rid of this. This isn't efficient. We're not using this anymore. Instead, what we do is we keep that old legacy system there and we add on top of it. We add something that might not even be evidence-based, but we add on to it. And that's one of the major reasons that um, we are here. And one of the other things that we talked about is Medicare for All, which I'm not going to dive into during this recap. You have to go listen to that episode because uh, Jeb doesn't think that it works. But one of the things that we talked about is just reimbursement in general for medicine. And what we talked about, what a major idea is that we just change reimbursement rates. Like we pay administrators less, um, whatever it may be, because a large proportion of the costs associated with healthcare are due to administrators. And he says that this doesn't really work because healthcare systems are often the largest employers in the area. So if you go to any small town or any town in general, um, for the most part, a large provider of kind of employment, of benefits, all these kinds of things things is a healthcare company of some sorts, whether it be a large hospital system, Walmart, even Amazon, now that they're starting to do all these things. If you just decrease kind of the reimbursement for these administrators, suddenly people start losing jobs. And because there's so many administrator jobs provided by healthcare, this provides a large economic impact, um, a negative impact to the community. So there's just so much to think about when it comes to healthcare. And I talked with Jeb quite a depth um, about a lot of these things. I was definitely above my head and my, above my level on this, but I was trying to understand as much as I could. And uh, you just have to go listen to that podcast to kind of understand a little bit about what's going on about healthcare because he has much better insight than I do. And he is also the author of a book. So make sure to go check that one out as well. The next episode we had was episode 33 with Leah Lutz, who is a part of Barbell Medicine, one of the OGs of Barbell Medicine. And she actually has a very interesting story. 
where she was originally a school teacher and she was very obese like myself, like Jason, my previous co-host we've talked about. And we talked a lot about her weight loss journey and how coming to powerlifting and finding barbell medicine was one of the kind of main ways that she started losing weight and found some sort of benefit. And just kind of the entire story of hearing about her journey is absolutely incredible. I think a lot of people can relate to that. And there's just so much during that story that just you just have to go listen to it. So it, whether it's right now or whether it's after this episode, just go listen to it. Episode 33 with Leah Lutz. Just, just listen to that story. Trust me. One of the other things that we talk about is that there's so many barriers to when it comes to like women in training. And I know we touched on this in the episode with uh, Claire Zai and also with Alyssa Lenick, but we talked a little bit more about this because Leah is one of the kind of pioneers when it comes to this. She has started powerlifting at a very long time ago um, compared to what we see now is more normalized. Um, but we had women that were kind of limited to parts of the weight room, not being uh, able to access the free weights, the uh, dumbbells, barbells, all those kinds of things. There was a lack of female coaches. So it was kind of inaccessible where um, you had men kind of coaching females that didn't really understand um, the different um, needs or whatever else may be or how to apply training. We had a lack of female role models and we also had just like basic prep programs and nothing that was advanced because we didn't think that woman could be loaded as Claire talks about. So we talked a lot about just a lot of different topics related to women in training. And I think it is a very valuable episode to go listen to. And Leah is someone that uh, many people, many guests that we've had on the show look up to. So definitely go check out that episode. Um, the episode after that was my episode where I talked about preventive medicine. And this is episode 34 where... At this point, I feel like I should have already talked about kind of what preventive medicine is, but this was an entire episode kind of going over um, preventive medicine from all different aspects and kind of why we approach it from every single aspect and have so many different perspectives on it. And the main talk uh, talking point or the main takeaway from this is that it's not just primary prevention, where you try to make sure someone doesn't get a disease like altogether. There's so many different layers and you can essentially practice prevention at every single step of the process. And this is explained by kind of primary prevention, which is what I was just talking about, making sure that someone doesn't get the disease whatsoever, like we just steer clear of disease, all of that. But that oftentimes isn't possible. So there's secondary prevention which is essentially screening for low levels of disease. So this is where your things were like screening for diabetes, screening for hypertension, all of these come, things come in because we're not looking for people who are just like um, normal blood pressure. Sure, that's great if you find that. But if you find someone with slightly elevated blood pressure, they might actually have hypertension and you're just detecting it at a very early stage and being able to alter the course or change it. Like what we talked about in an episode with uh, Dr. Ali Hader. So that's secondary prevention. Tertiary prevention is still prevention, but someone has a disease, they've established disease, they're getting treatment for it. And the entire point is to reduce the amount of symptoms that they're experiencing because of this disease. And if we reduce symptoms, we can theoretically improve the amount of enjoyment or the amount of kind of uh, like the less symptoms you experience, the better you will feel on a daily basis, right? So let's say if you have diabetes, we're reducing the symptoms of, let's say, numbness and tingling due to peripheral neuropathy of the lower extremities. So we're giving treatment so that you can maintain sensation, keep the blood sugar low so that um, you don't end up with a lot of like ulcers on your feet. You don't end up tripping over yourself. You don't lose a whole bunch of like tactile uh, sensation on your feet, all those kinds of things. So that's tertiary. And then yet there still is another stage, which is quaternary prevention, 
I mean, quaternary prevention really is the reduction of over-medicalization of a patient. And this, like we talked about in our episode with Dr. Austin Baraki, is very easy to do these days. And we actually talk about this in a future episode, which I'll get to later on um, during this review. Whereas if a patient is already like experiencing a fair amount of symptoms, um, let's say they may be at the end of life, unfortunately, instead of just kind of providing them over and over and over treatment, try to just do as much as we can to make them live, let's reduce that and reduce the amount of harm that we're doing from a medical standpoint. And that's kind of the entire point of quadrant prevention is let's reduce the amount of harm we're doing from a medical standpoint, because yes, medicines can do harm and all healthcare is not good healthcare. So that was kind of preventive medicine. I would definitely go check out that episode because it kind of provides a basic um, outline of what preventive medicine is and which is the entire point of this podcast. We want to take a quick break to remind you that this podcast is not intended for medical advice and is for educational and informational purposes only. We also want to remind you of our Instagram page at PreventPod, where we share various content relating to each episode that you can share with your friends if you enjoy our episode. And lastly, don't forget to sign up for our mailing list so you know right away when an episode goes up at www.thepreventivemedicinepodcast.com. And with that, let's get back into this episode. Moving on from there, we have episode 35 was uh, with Dr. Mike Albert, who is a obesity medicine specialist. Now, in this, we did a very, very deep dive on obesity. And I know I talked about this um, in our episodes with Dr. Carl Nadolsky and Spencer Nadolsky, but I really wanted to dive deep on obesity because it is just such a complex issue. And I really like Dr. Albert's definition of it, um, which right here is a quote unquote, it is a progressive chronic relapsing condition that is neurobehavioral in origin. And what drives it is having impacts on the psychological, functional, biomechanical, cardiometabolic health um, kind of aspects of humans. So that's a lot. Um, it took me a while to understand the definition. I kind of had to hear it back a couple of times, but it's, it's instead of kind of looking at obesity as the number on the scale what Dr. Albert likes to look at it as like the disease and the health consequences of the disease. So removing kind of the number on the scale, the outside of like the weight, let's look at the disease, what it does to the body and the various health consequences and kind of treat it that way versus just Let's lose some weight, which is a very reductionist aspect and approach to obesity. And we talk about how diet and exercise often are not enough, given that we just try to like our reductionist approach just to lose weight and diet or not exercise are the first ways that people think of when it comes to that. And it's often not enough due to just so many different factors along with brain chemistry, um, long-term behavior change being incredibly hard. And a lot of people that are experiencing obesity have been having behaviors for a very long time. Um, the delivery of just food, our environment, um, just like the Uber Eats, all these apps just make everything super easy. So it's very challenging to overcome obesity. So if you really want to listen more to an episode on obesity and kind of the deep dive, this is the episode for you. And speaking of obesity, after that, um, I talked with John on episode 36, Jonathan Alessi, who is a MD-PhD candidate. Um, both of us were obese previously. And in episode 36, we kind of just dove into our stories and the various strategies that we used to lose weight, our approaches to it, our mentality, tips that we might have for someone who is struggling with weight loss or someone who would like to start losing weight. This is kind of a episode that we talked about all of our stories. So if you want to hear a little bit more about that, then go check out episode 36. Episode 37 was with Danny Lennon, who is a master's in nutritional sciences, but mostly known for his work on Sigma Nutrition, which is kind of like the de facto, in my opinion, at least the de facto evidence-based nutritional podcast and resource out there. And 
what Danny does is absolutely excellent. He keeps it as evidence-based as possible, um, going against any bias he may have, any bias his guests may have. And he has, like ourselves, what I would believe, actual experts, like he interviews like PhDs and main researchers from various universities across the world, and just experts in whatever category it may be. So he just does the deep dive, like I didn't know obesity. He does it on every single topic you could think of when it comes to nutrition. So if you've ever been curious about a topic, he probably has a podcast or some sort of content out there regarding that. So definitely go check that out. But on this episode, we talk about um, kind of nutrition overall. We talk about how people worry about specific ingredients and nutrients when it comes to um, kind of uh, appropriate nutrition um, and what people people consider a good diet. And we talk about how specific ingredients or um, nutritional supplements don't really have a large impact on health. And a lot of times what people like obsess over, they obsess over vitamin D, polyphenols, um, whatever it may be. Oftentimes, these micronutrients that people obsess over are covered by larger general guidelines. And it's not like the experts who make these guidelines are unaware of what's going on with these specific micronutrients. Um, They're not thinking about your omega-3 to 6 ratio, or sorry, they are thinking about your omega-3 to 6 ratio, about your polyphenol intake, about all of these things when they make those guidelines. And all these smaller points are kind of encompassed within those larger guidelines, which is why those are made. And that's one of the things that we talked about. And another kind of um, devil's advocate type question I had for him was that, When it comes to nutrition, a lot of the benefits when we see when it comes to lab work, specifically with nutrition, a lot of the benefits come from simple weight loss, where there's kind of this famous experiment where we had a professor who ate only Twinkies for a a period of several weeks, but with a calorie deficit. So he lost weight and all his lab markers improved. And I brought this up to Danny and what he thought about it. And uh, he talked about how pretty much you might see benefits in your health markers, but is this a long-term sustainable behavior? What happens if you continue eating Twinkies for the rest of your life? Obviously, we know from like a basic litmus test in your head, that's not a good strategy. But we talked a little bit more about that, about why that might not be the best strategy. So definitely go check out that episode for a more deeper dive into the nuances of nutrition. Um, And going from there, once again, I love the broad perspectives and kind of the so many aspects that we get to preventive medicine. The next episode that we had was with Dr. Mark Lewis, who is actually an oncologist. Yes, cancer. And like I was saying in our episode with what is preventive medicine, it can be practiced at any stage. And whether this is trying to prevent yourself or prevent someone else from getting cancer or from preventing over-medicalization of cancer, reducing symptoms, whatever it may be, I talked to Dr. Lewis about this, who is an oncologist. He's a specialist in cancer. And the most interesting thing is that he is actually a survivor of cancer. um, And he is a very rare form of cancer um, that he thankfully got diagnosed early, thankfully to one of his tips, which is knowing your family history. Um, And he just... He had surgery for his cancer and he's doing phenomenally now. Um, So we talk a lot about that. He has a lot of empathy for his patients. And there's just so much good stuff going on in this podcast. But the main takeaway from this was that when it comes to preventive medicine for cancer, the best thing we can do, like I already mentioned, is knowing your family history. So because Dr. Lewis knew that his father had a type of cancer that if he's once he started experiencing symptoms... He went in and he got it checked out. And luckily, it was early enough where he was able to get it dealt with appropriately. Um, So that is kind of the biggest thing you can do. And the other thing is don't blame yourself for getting cancer if someone does. Or don't like shame someone else for getting cancer that you might think is quote unquote preventable. Um, A lot of times you think about lung cancer as being the poster child for preventable cancer. Where you think if you don't smoke, 
you're not going to get lung cancer. Phenomenal, right? However, the amount of lung cancers that are attributable to smoking is about 85%. So that means 15% of cancers, of lung cancer specifically, are in people who do not smoke. And you can't just shame someone and be like, you got lung cancer because you smoke because in 50% of the cases, that's not true. And sometimes there's like secondhand smoke, very polluted cities, all of those kinds of things that someone might not have control over. Um, so don't blame someone or shame someone for getting cancer. And sometimes cancer is not preventable. You can do everything right, whatever that means. You can have the perfect diet. You can exercise every single day. You can sleep the appropriate amount. You can handle your stressors. You can have great social connections, but still get cancer. And this is one of those diseases that just sometimes is random and sometimes just bad luck. And what you can do at that point is just not worry about it, not shaming someone about it, and just do what you can, get appropriate treatment from an oncologist, not from some random herbal medicine or some some random like fruit diet, whatever it may be. Go to an actual oncologist and get it taken care of. And in general, his advice was just be generally healthy and that's the best thing you can do for cancer. Um, and speaking of sleep, being able to sleep properly, the next two episodes that we had, episode 39 and 40, were a masterclass on sleep. And in uh, the first one, in episode 39, I talked with Dr. Chris Winter, um, who is a sleep specialist. He is a physician. He's an MD. And we talked a lot about sleeping disorders and kind of how they come about, why they develop, what we can do about them, and kind of a little bit more about sleep medications. And we talk about how many sleeping disorders oftentimes develop in childhood. Um, and we don't really notice them. For example, restless leg syndrome, we might have a child who just like is kind of restless in their sleep, but we don't really think much about it because they're a kid. They can't really have them new diseases, right? And oftentimes we don't think about these diagnoses until someone's an adult and they go get it checked out themselves. And all of a sudden they have restless leg, they get the appropriate treatment for it, and they sleep like a baby which is incredible. Um, and then sometimes there's diseases like uh, sleep apnea, um, or which we talk about a little bit more in the other one, or we talk about um, narcolepsy, which may be inherited. And there's just so many different things. We just talk about kind of the... Um, kind of the basis for a lot of sleep disorders. So definitely go check that out because they do affect a lot of people, which we don't really think about oftentimes. Um, we also talk about sleep medications, which are for the most part worthless, unless there's a specific diagnosis of a sleeping disorder, such as narcolepsy. Um, we talk about how basic sedating medications like Ambien um, and all of these other like medications that a older person might take because quote unquote, they can't sleep at night are garbage and sometimes actually make sleep quality worse. Um, most of the times they're not evidence-based. The only time you really need to take medication for sleep is if you have a diagnosed condition like restless leg syndrome, if you have sleep apnea, if you have narcolepsy, all those kinds of things. And one of the other questions, interestingly, that I asked them about is the sleep debt. Um, and a lot of times we aren't able to sleep very much. I know as a resident physician that um, sometimes I'm not able to get that much sleep. I sleep like maybe four hours a night uh, for some points. And I asked them about, is it possible to catch up on sleep? And one of the interesting things that he talked about was that, number one, there's a lot of different opinions on this because it's not most clear in the evidence. But what he said is that a study found that 56 hours a week is what is kind of shows the most benefit versus just necessarily eight hours a night. So if you sleep four hours a night for like, let's say two nights, then if you're able to catch up um, in like during the week and get to that 56 hour mark, then you are going to be kind of what the evidence shows as being the most beneficial. Part two of our sleep masterclass was with uh, Dr. Jade Wu, who is actually a PhD. She's a clinical psychologist that specializes in sleep. And in this, we talk mostly about sleep insomnia. 
and just the various aspects of sleep relating to insomnia and how the main treatment for sleep insomnia is not a like better sleep hygiene or some medication or anything. It's actually cognitive behavioral therapy, which is kind of a therapy technique because oftentimes when it comes to sleep insomnia, people have various emotions or meanings tied behind their insomnia versus an actual kind of pathological or whatever it may be condition. This is very similar to back pain. Where a lot of times it's not mechanical. It's not pathological. There's not necessarily anything wrong, but someone's still experiencing back pain or insomnia. And in this case, a lot of that's because of the meaning or whatever else it may be that they have tied to it. And thus, Therapy is actually the first and mainline treatment when it comes to insomnia versus anything else. And this episode was actually a paradigm buster for me as well, because when I would think of sleep problems, you think of kind of sleep hygiene. You think of fixing up your sleep time, your wake up time, fixing the amount of caffeine you drink, kind of blackout curtains, reduce stimulation before bedtime, all those kinds of things. But Dr. Wu broke that all down, pretty much said the only thing that's important is try to wake up the same time every day. And the rest of it kind of goes for like, don't drink caffeine right before you go to bed, obviously. But that's very basic. And most people don't advance beyond those. When it comes to sleep hygiene, she said, forget about kind of trying to sleep at the same time every day. Let your body develop a rhythm and really try to wake up at the same time every day and try to tire yourself out or do whatever it is during the activities. And your body will tell you at the end of the day when it's tired and when it's time to go to bed. Then you wake up at the same time. And that was kind of her kind of basis for sleep hygiene. Um, And we talked a lot about that. We talked a lot about how what people think of sleep hygiene is most of the time like garbage. And you should really be advancing beyond that to seek kind of professional care if your sleep doesn't improve from simple sleep hygiene. Because unfortunately, a lot of time people just stop thinking about it once they start worrying about the sleep hygiene and it doesn't advance and they just don't do anything else after that. They're like, oh, I can't do anything about it. This sucks. The other thing that we talked about is sleep disparities during this podcast. And yes, there are sleep disparities. Um, and this is due to people not being able to get enough sleep due to various societal factors. Let's say they work two jobs and they only get the chance for 46 hours of sleep per night. Let's say they have a newborn, um, which Dr. Wu is also experiencing being a new mother, where she doesn't get a lot of sleep because of that. There's just so many environmental factors that go into it and various disparities. And we talk a lot about that and how these sleep disparities often feed into socioeconomic disparities. Because if you can't sleep that much, you don't perform at your best. You're kind of stuck within these two jobs. There's no extra time for um, advancement of extracurriculars, getting better uh, education, all those kinds of things. So we talk a lot about that. Um, We talk a little bit about how some of these things and sleep disparities are tied into kind of structural racism, um, slavery from the past. Um, There's just a lot to unpack during the end of this episode. So definitely go check that out. On a much more lighthearted topic, we talk about the skin and dermatology with Dr. Zain Hussein in episode 41. And in this one, we talk about skincare. There's so much stuff out there about skincare. Um, it is like the new gold rush. Um, everyone's trying to come out with a skincare product. Everyone's using skincare products. Everyone's talking about skincare products. And there's so much non-evidence-based stuff out there. People are just using anything on their skin. And you have just... There's a lot out there. So in this one, we clarify a lot of that. And we talk about how the main parts of skincare that are evidence-based is number one, a sunscreen. Number two, some form of retinol. And number three, some form of vitamin C serum. These are really the three ingredients that are evidence-based. And outside of that, there's not much evidence for anything else. 
but definitely go follow Dr. Uh, Hussein on Instagram. He does questions and answers pretty uh, often, and he answers a lot of questions when it comes to skincare. People ask him about a lot of time, so you can get educated pretty well just by following his Instagram and by looking at his uh, question and answers. Um, we also talk about how many times people don't think of preventive medicine. They don't think of dermatology. However, preventing skin blemishes, diseases, or, uh, diseases like cancer are really easy to prevent just with the simple use of sunscreen. But even blemishes can provide a significant amount of preventive uh, benefit just because um, having good appearing skin often provides a lot of benefits on multiple levels such as like confidence, self-worth. Sometimes, unfortunately, appearances do matter. They can provide you more opportunities. And there's just a lot, a list goes on. This was a fascinating episode. There's just a lot to think about when it comes to skin that I didn't necessarily think about. Um, moving back to kind of one of the bread and butter topics of uh, preventive medicine that we talk about on this podcast is musculoskeletal care. And in episode 42, we talked with Dr. Eliud, Eliud Sierra, um, who is a chiropractor, uh, another chiropractor, yes, and no, he does not crack either. Um, he does practice just a little bit of manipulation sometimes when it provides the contextual factors um, that it makes the patient feel better. But for the most part, he is incredibly evidence-based. Um, and we talked a lot about exercise selection when it comes to rehab um, during this episode. We talked a lot about what exercises you should be selecting, what exercise you shouldn't be selecting, and how a lot of times it doesn't necessarily even matter. There's not a right answer. There's not an exercise you quote unquote have to be selecting for a patient. It depends on the patient, the contextual factors, what the patient enjoys. Um, and actually enjoyment is one of the things that we talked about in this podcast is a key for rehab. Um, a lot of times, any movement is good movement. There's not a specific motion or exercise that is more beneficial than others most of the time. So just getting the person moving and finding something that they enjoy and can adhere to is the key versus any other sort of progression that might be prescribed. Because a lot of times you have kind of um, clinicians that say, oh, you have to do this progression, otherwise you're not going to get better. When that isn't necessarily the case. Patients will get better just by doing some sort of movement. So helping them move, facilitating that, helping them find things that they enjoy is the most important thing this is a deep dive into exercise and rehab, so definitely go check that episode out. Um, in the next two episodes in 43 and 44, you hear me, a lot more of my voice, where we talk about exercise and prevention, kind of jumping off the episode with uh, Elliot Sierra. And then in episode 44, I, it was kind of the New Year episode um, on what I look forward to during this year of the podcast. So if you want to hear a little bit more about the goals that I have for this podcast, kind of uh, a lot more about like the background about this podcast and behind the scenes stuff, then go listen to episode 44. All right, we are now on the home stretch. And these are the last six episodes that I've recorded. And these are very different episodes. There's just so many different perspectives to talk about here. And in the first one, we're talking with Dr. Stephen or Stephen Trevick, um, who is triple board certified. And he is actually one of the physicians that I worked with during my residency when I was working in the ICU. He is a neurocritical care um, kind of approved board certified physician. He is a neurologist as well as a psychiatrist. Those are kind of his three board certifications. And he has a lot of different interests. And we started out this podcast talking about kind of strokes and kind of the neurocritical care aspect of it and how we can prevent this and prevent someone from ending up in the ICU. And a lot of that comes down to taking care of yourself. Like, I know it sounds very simple, but a lot of times when people suffer from strokes, which can be very debilitating, unfortunately, um, where like you lose function of a limb, you're not able to speak properly, swallow properly. Strokes are very devastating. And one of the best ways to prevent that is just to understand and know about your various health conditions. And a lot of times, uh, Dr. Trevick was talking about 
when people follow up with him in his clinic after stroke, this is often the first time that these patients discover they have diabetes or hypertension, and this is when they're diagnosed. And if we were to kind of modulate these diseases, uh, these diseases or kind of talk about them and address them previously from a preventive manner, from a secondary prevention manner, or even a tertiary, then you might have prevented that stroke, which can cause debilitating um, kind of a lot of changes in someone's lifestyle. So that was the first thing we talked about. And then we dive into psychiatric care. And there is just a lot that Dr. Trevek talked about when it came to psychiatric care. And we talked about how one of the main principles of psychiatric care is helping people self-manage and find ways to express their own emotions in a safe way. We talked about how every single person has thoughts, which we would consider strange, aberrant, inappropriate even. Um, and we all have these thoughts. It's completely normal to have these thoughts. But for some people, they aren't able to kind of uh, interact with those thoughts or express them appropriately. And for most of us, we'll be like, oh, that's an inappropriate thought. Let's move on. Let's forget that I thought about that. All those kinds of things where we just understand, we realize that it's inappropriate. Whereas some people don't understand that. They either express those thoughts or they kind of interact with those thoughts, whatever it may be. But kind of psychiatric care is helping people self-manage those thoughts and kind of being able to manage their emotions, their expressions, all of that kind of thing. So Dr. Trevick talks a lot in this episode about psychiatric care, a lot of it that I can't really summarize because you just have to hear it from the source itself. So if you want to hear someone who is very good at storytelling, very good at just speaking and being engaging, episode 45 with Dr. Trevick is the one for you. And episode 46, this is something I alluded to previously, where I talked about quaternary prevention, and that is if someone's at the end of life, then maybe let's not think about adding that fourth line of chemotherapeutic agent. Let's not think about admitting them for a hospital stay and doing such aggressive interventions. And in this episode, I talked with Dr. Nicole Piemonte, um, who is a PhD, um, and she kind of studies palliative care. Um, and medical humanities is what her PhD is in. But she is very passionate about the end of life and kind of reducing harms and making sure that people have the uh, kind of when they pass, they have it on their terms and how they want it to be instead of just being over medicalized and not being able to spend the time with their family and kind of with the ones, the loved ones and how they would want to leave their bodies. Um we talk about how preventive care can be practiced at the end of life, despite what many would think. We talked about preventive care around death means making people comfortable and helping them pass the way that they would want to versus in a hospital bed, not being surrounded by family, um, kind of having a whole bunch of needles and just things sticking out of you. And a lot of people don't want to die that way. Um, and we talk a lot about that. We talk about reducing over-medicalization. I think this is a paradigm breaker and a paradigm shifter for many people. Um, we talk about advanced directives, living wills, DNRs, DNIs, all these kinds of things. And I think this is critical information for everyone who kind of literally everyone. If you are walking, breathing, living, eating, then you should go listen to this episode because these are all topics we should be aware of because all of us are going to die someday. And this is something that we should think about ahead of time because oftentimes when it gets to the point where we're sick enough, where we might think someone may die, oftentimes it's too late to think about these things. And we have to have these thoughts clear for ourselves way ahead of time. So definitely go listen to that episode. Um, and in the next one, on a much lighter note, I guess not super, not that much lighter, but we talked with Dr. Samina Rahman, who is a OBGYN, mostly gynecologist at this point, where we talk about women's health. And I had been trying to get someone on this episode or on the show to talk about women's health for such a long time. And this was finally the culmination of six months of effort to try to get someone on. And this is someone I actually know personally. 
And we talk about how when it comes to women's health, a lot of preventive care actually just takes the form of education because females and women oftentimes don't really learn much about their bodies. Um, and this is due to like the schooling system, due to just the way our society is set up where we aren't really educating females about their own bodies around menarche, around menopause. And this is why there's so many like garbage products out there. There's so much bullshit. Um, there's just so much stuff out there around menarche and menopause that is not evidence-based. And this is because we don't educate women around this. And this is something that Dr. Raymond is very passionate about doing. So we talked a lot about that, about how a lot of preventive care is just talking about these things so that women are able to self-manage themselves. And once again, this plays into the definition uh, laid out by Dr. Austin Baraki during our first episode as the ability to self-manage and adapt, all those kinds of things. Um, during this episode, we also talk about how as you can guess, we aren't doing a great job with women's health because there isn't that much representation in the research. Um, like if you look at a lot of uh, articles when it comes to um, just research in females and just various female-related problems um, due to their physiology, there isn't that much research out there. There isn't that much funding for the research out there, unfortunately. And thus, there's not that many good recommendations. And there are some that we are that we do know are evidence-based, and those will be found in this podcast, so make sure to go listen to that. Um, there isn't that much representation in practice. Like There aren't that many female practitioners. A lot of times, there's still a lot of stigma around female practicing as surgeons, as whatever career they might want to do in science, technology, engineering, and math. Um, so we talk about that. We also talk about how people are not listening to women. And a lot of times they'll go to their primary care physician with a, like a complaint of abdominal pain, pelvic pain, whatever it may be. And the primary care physician kind of either dismisses it or kind of just minimizes it, whatever it may be. And they're not listening. And then they end up going to Dr. Raymond and they get a lot better care because she actually listens to them. She understands a little bit more about what's going on. She's able to provide care for them. So there's a lot of preventive medicine. There's just a lot of topics to talk about in there. So definitely go check that one out as well. We are down to our final three episodes that I have recorded thus far. Sorry, four. Um, and this one is with Jordan Syatt, episode 48. And if you don't know, Jordan Syatt is actually a... He's a pretty big icon when it comes to fitness. I think he is the person that I've talked to so far on the show that has the most followers across all the social platforms, easily over 1 million. Um, so he has made a large impact on many people's lives. And there is a very good reason why. He is an excellent communicator of just various information when it comes to health. And in this podcast, we talk a lot of times about how what he does is he simplifies health. And when people come to him, they've often been told and sold this very complicated picture of what they need to do to become healthier. And what Jordan says is that health is actually very simple and it's made overly complicated by so many people because they're citing one or two like studies and cherry picking like um, just studies that prove their point. So they say, oh, because this one study said that you need to be outside in the sun for exactly 47 minutes a day, that that's what you should do. And then you have people that are confused because they need to be outside exactly 47 minutes. But what if they don't? Are they going to die? All these different things. And people are just very confused by what it comes to health. And Jordan just kind of simplifies it for his class with his kind of entire program, what he has going on inside fitness. So we talked about that. And then one of the other things that he talked about, which I really enjoyed, which uh, this is one of the reasons he's so good at communicating is that he has just like simple tools to help people to understand is something BS or not. And one of those is kind of just vet it versus general knowledge, literally. 
What have people been telling you? If someone tells you that kale is bad, because there are people out there saying that kale, spinach, leafy greens are bad for you, vet it against general knowledge. What he says is say it slowly out loud to yourself. So he does something like kale is bad for you. And then when you say it slowly out loud, and kind of deliberately, you vet it versus the general knowledge and understand, and you immediately realize that this is garbage. And a lot of times what he says is that people just throw this fast information at you with various quote unquote sources. And because they don't give you a lot of time to think, you start internalizing and that's suddenly what you believe. But if you say it slowly, repeat it out loud, you realize that a lot of times it's garbage. Um, the other thing that we talked about in this episode, which he's really good at, is helping people set the appropriate goals for themselves. Um, and then just by goals, meaning like uh, fitness goals, health goals, whatever it may be. And what he says is that a appropriate goal has to be specific, which someone can set a plan in place for so they can reach that goal. And this isn't like, quote unquote, I want to get healthier this year. This is, I want to reduce my blood pressure by X amount of points in this amount of time. Then we set a plan in place to do that. So we talk a lot about goals. So this is a very um, fun episode. Definitely go listen to it. It's very entertaining, yet packed with a lot of information. Um, episode 49 was with Gerald Ernat, who is a registered dietitian as well as holds a master's degree in nutrition. And in this episode, we take the deep dive on supplements. We have talked a lot about nutrition on this podcast, but we have not talked about supplements and there is no discussion that can be had about nutrition without talking about supplements just because everyone thinks about, do they need to take a vitamin D supplement? Do they need to take the multivitamin? Do they need to take a omega-3 supplement? All of these things. So we dive into what is useful and what is not when it comes to the world of supplements. Spoiler alert, there's not very much that's useful. Kind of the main things that are, are a, maybe a whey protein supplement. Um, if someone needs to increase their protein intake uh, conveniently and a creatine supplement, which um, can be used and is kind of the most studied supplement out there when it comes to improving performance. Outside of that, most supplements probably not necessary unless there's a very specific need for like a diagnosed condition. Probably you don't need anything. Um, and on our Instagram post, we kind of dove into the use of multivitamins, which people think of as quote unquote insurance. Um, they're not really useful at all. Um, they don't really do that much. So there's a lot that we talked about when it comes to supplements. And one of the other main points that we talked about is that supplement companies are not regulated by the FDA and oftentimes can be very shady in their practices. Um, they don't necessarily have to meet label claims, all these various things. So there's a lot more potential for harm that can come from a supplement company versus benefit because in the evidence, there's not really very much benefit to many supplements out there, but there can be a lot of harms when it comes to kind of ingredient cleanliness label claims, all these different things. So definitely, if you want to learn more about supplements, episode 49 is for you. Now, the last two episodes are the most recent ones and some of the most fascinating ones. In episode 50, first, we talked with Leah San Hoy, who is a master's in computational social science. And in this one, we talk about big data. Yes, that's right. Big data or just companies collecting large amounts of data. But we don't really talk about the problems associated with that. We talk about ourselves collecting big data and how that can be used to improve healthcare outcomes. Because my personal belief and I think what a lot of people understand is that when it comes to preventive medicine, we can't do that much from an individual level. Me, 
having this podcast or me talking to patients um, in my kind of clinical practice will not have as big of an impact as a social service or a policy change or a legislative change that has a the possibility to affect a vast number of people. And a lot of that comes, a lot of those policy changes, social services programs, all those come based on big data and the data that's collected and the kind of conclusions that are brought from that data. So we talk a lot about how setting up that data works, um, kind of what we're looking for, who needs to be collaborated with, and how we use that data with the various algorithms, statistical advances, um, whatever it may be to kind of find conclusions and implement those conclusions to make change and help out a large amount of people. So we talk about two examples during this podcast. If you want to learn more about that, um, kind of the nitty gritty about this big data, then go check out this episode. It is a little bit more on the um, technical side when it comes to data. It's something that I was really curious about. So if you are also curious, then go check it out. But fair warning is a little bit more technical than some of our other podcasts. And finally, the last episode that we've had thus far, episode 51. I know I lied a little bit. This isn't 50 episode recaps, 51 episode recap. And in this one, we talked with uh, Dr. Natasha Palopoulos, who is a also a PhD of clinical psychology. However, she specializes in pediatric psychology. And in this episode, we cover everything there is to know about pediatric psychology. Probably not. There's probably a lot more to know. But we talk about the mental health of kind of the youth. We talk about how the youth mental health crisis wasn't necessarily made worse by COVID. We talk about how it was already going on. Um, it was already pretty bad. There was already very drastic um, kind of changes that needed to be made before COVID even started. And it didn't necessarily get worse. And there's still a lot to think about. So we talk about just warning signs that parents should look out for when it comes to their children, when they should seek care of a clinical psychologist or a pediatric psychologist. We talk about what parents can do to improve their children's mental health. And the thing that we can do for that, let me add right there, is just practice better mental health for ourselves or for a parent because a lot of children's outcomes are based on their parents' mental health outcomes. And so Practicing preventive medicine in children is practicing preventive medicine in adults. So make sure that adults, we have safe strategies for kind of um, coping, for having improved mental health should be in place to help our children. And then we also talk about how um, LGBTQ plus youth uh, specifically experience um, very kind of poor outcomes when it comes to mental health. And we talk a lot about how she is very passionate about that. We talk about the various issues related to that. And there's just so much going on during this episode that if you are interested in pediatric psychology, mental health, definitely go check this episode out. And that is it. That is 51 episodes. This was part two of our recap. If you missed it, go check out part one where I cover episodes one through 24. And in this episode, I'm covering episodes 25 through 51. So there are so many takeaways from so many incredible guests during this podcast. And it's only been 50 episodes. And I look forward to all of the other episodes that are to come to the other experts. There's already a couple more people that I'm very excited to talk to you um, about or to talk to them and then share with you about. Um, I'm just very excited for this podcast. There's just so much to talk about, so many other perspectives to explore because we're not even close to done exploring all the perspectives around preventive medicine. Preventive medicine is so expansive. There's so much to talk about, so much to address. And I can't wait to do that. Can't wait to bring you all those episodes. But that's it for now. If you had enjoyed it, this episode or if you've enjoyed any of our episodes um, or any of the ones that I talk about, please go check out the full episode. Let's say you enjoy episode 36, then... Um, Make sure you go to our website, you check out what episode 36 is, you listen to the entire thing. And if you enjoy it or if you enjoy any of the other ones, the best way to support this podcast is by rating and reviewing on Spotify, 
Apple Podcast, wherever it is that you listen. Um, so thank you very much for listening to this podcast. And I can't wait to bring you some more episodes. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Preventive Medicine Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help us spread the message of prevention, first off, rate and review this podcast. Second off, you can find our content on our social media platforms at PreventPod. That's P-R-E-V-E-N-T-P-O-D. Thank you for listening and we'll see you in the next one.